The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 380 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is help and hope for family caregivers caring for family members with FASD. Now, the World Health Organization, in its 2014 publication, it was called Guidelines for the Identification and Management of Substance Use and Substance Use Disorders in Pregnancy, recognized fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, FASD, as a range of physical and brain-related developmental abnormalities attributed to the effects of alcohol on the unborn child, the fetus. Now, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders last a lifetime. They create various distinct challenges throughout the stages of life, adult child, uh, sorry, early childhood, adolescence, early adulthood, and mature adulthood. Uh, they create challenges for family caregivers throughout all the stages. They have no cure, though some medications and behavior therapy may help, but no one treatment is right for everyone living with FASD, which is why our topic, Help and Hope for Family Caregivers Caring for Family Members with FASD, is so important for family caregivers and their family members. To discuss it, our guest today is Jessica Hutton-Rantala. Jessica is a behavior specialist specializing in supports for persons living with FASD and for their family caregivers and families. She has a sister and nephew with FASD. Her education, including her degree in psychology, as well as her personal experience, gives her a unique understanding of FASD, the struggle it brings, and the strategies that work. She and her firm, Jessica Hutton Rantala Consulting, provide program development, customized training, and crisis intervention and behavior consultation. She's implemented an FASD pilot program for the government of British Columbia, which supports adults with FASD in a home environment with 24-hour care. She lives in northern Alberta and travels primarily through Alberta and British Columbia with her work. She's a qualified supplier to the governments of Alberta and British Columbia. So welcome to the show, Jessica. Thank you very much for having me. Great. First question for you, please. Please tell us about your own experience of family caregiving for FASD. Absolutely. So my own personal experience of family caregiving for FASD comes mostly from having a sister who was adopted from Russia. 
So I am the oldest of four children, followed by two brothers, and then my sister who was adopted in 1996. Um, Ten years after she was adopted, um, she was adopted or she was diagnosed with FASD. So prior to the diagnosis, there was a significant amount of frustration in the house because it was pretty clear that that something was not right. Um, However, we didn't know exactly what it was that was wrong. And so following the diagnosis, although there was um, limited understanding at the beginning, there was at least an understanding of the reasons um, for some of the behaviors we were seeing. So my parents discovered very quickly after the diagnosis that they were on a new journey in life, and that journey was was very foreign territory. Um, You have to remember that FASD is, is actually still a fairly new diagnosis, and when we got the diagnosis for my sister, um, even before we got it, and she was in elementary school and it became evident something wasn't right, the teachers, um, because of their limited knowledge of FASD, actually sent my parents in, in the opposite direction with their suggestions. So thus it took several years before we actually got the diagnosis, which came when she was 16. So as a result of the diagnosis, our family had to learn to adapt and respond um, to a member in our family with FASD, and that certainly hasn't been easy. Um, I've watched my very own competent parents struggle with responding to a child with FASD, and that is because it requires a completely different set of tools than a child without FASD needs. And this is a very common struggle for parents and caregivers um, because the individual's with FASD respond so differently, and our, our family has experienced a great deal of trauma as a result of having FASD in our family. So I've seen firsthand what an FASD um, diagnosis can do to, our, to, to do to a family. And further to this, my husband has two nephews, one with a diagnosis of FASD and one with suspected FASD, and, and so I do have enormous personal experience with family caregiving for FASD. Right. Very clear, Jessica, thank you. Now, I want to move on to something else. Please tell us about your research in which you studied the impact of FASD on the criminal justice system of Canada. Please tell us about that research. For sure. So this was extremely interesting. Um, Through my own work, um, it had become pretty apparent to me that the individuals with FASD are significantly overrepresented in the criminal justice system. So I believe that this is a result of the lack of understanding with regards to FASD, and those in the criminal justice system often don't understand this disorder, so they don't recognize how to respond to it. So the challenges that are created by the effects of FASD affect all stages of the criminal justice process, and that includes things like um, statement giving, participating in their own assessment and diagnosis, and their testimonial capacity. So what I mean by this is that when an individual with FASD has trouble with their memory, they may not be able to successfully tell the same story twice the same way. So you can see what, where this would become an issue in the criminal justice system when these individuals are sat down and told to tell a story under oath and they may not actually be capable of recalling um, in perfect deal, detail the situation and perhaps you know, often details that maybe would get them off of the accused crime they can't remember and their inability then to recall the details is often misread as purposely omitting or lying. And many professionals within the system don't see the FASD because they don't, they're not trained to look for it. So instead what happens is individuals with FASD are seen as non-compliant instead of having a brain, brain injury or an injured brain. 
And this, again, can manifest, say, for example, with an individual who may not understand his parole condition of, of 10 p.m. curfew for several reasons. That may be that he doesn't know how to tell time. He may not, un- he may not understand what is meant by the time. He may not have been had this condition explained to him in a way he understood. Um, however, um, it has to do with his brain injury, not with his noncompliance. But you can imagine how this looks then to the criminal justice system. Right. Now, to move to something else, your work, your work with your firm, your, your, this company that you, you run, um, Jessica Hutton Rantala Consulting. Please tell us about your work with your, with your firm. Jessica? Absolutely. I developed Jessica Hutton Rantala Consulting in response to what I felt was a lack of expertise or professionals in this field. I was working in a different capacity um, within the human services field and doing a lot of work with individuals and families and caregivers affected by FASD. And as a result of this, I was being asked to provide consulting to families on various issues with regards to FASD. So I decided to start consulting to respond to the significant requests I was having for help. So what I do is I provide assistance for parents, caregivers, and professionals to all of whom support individuals with FASD. So I do this by providing training, by providing crisis intervention, program development, resource coordination, family support, and educational tools. So for example, a family might call and ask me to provide specific plans for assisting them in working with their child. Um, Or another example might be an adoptive society asking for specific training to be brought in. So the work that I do is built um, on the insight I have gained working in the field with individuals and families affected by FASD as well as my own personal experience. The training I provide um, is, is done so to help parents, caregivers, and professionals to better understand and better respond to the individuals they are supporting. And I also help families understand what an FASD diagnosis means for their loved one and for their family and to assist the families and caregivers in understanding the many processes they have to go through and in helping them to adapt and, and advocating for the individual and the families. So I also facilitate resources where they do exist to support individuals and families and as well, you know, obviously collaborate with other professionals to, to best respond to the needs of a family. So a significant portion of my work is actually done utilizing um, the telephone or Skype or FaceTime or email, um, which actually allows me to provide assistance to families very quickly without having to travel, and it also allows for, for crisis intervention when required by the families or the caregivers. Give us an example of crisis that you inter- would intervene with. Absolutely. Jessica? So a crisis where a child has maybe um, had, a, had a situation where they've had a run-in with the law, um, that actually happens a lot, where an individual maybe um, has, has run, had a run-in with a, an RCMP member or a member of, of um, law enforcement. Um, another crisis can be when a, a, par- a family just gets to the, really the very end of their rope um, and is, is unable to really deal too much more with, with this child and they're not sure how to respond to this child and they just are, everything seems to be falling down around them and, and they go into crisis and they don't know how to respond to that child. Right. Now, in the services you've just described that you're, give, you're providing, um, what proportion would you say are you providing to families and individuals who are caught up with the criminal justice system? Jessica? 
significant portion. Um, there are interesting statistics around how many individuals, um, about 10 to 25 percent of the prisoners in our criminal justice system are thought to have FASD, and it's something like 60 percent of individuals with FASD at some point come in contact with the law, whether that is to um, have charges um put against them or in some other capacity. That's a huge amount. And, and I would say that's pretty accurate with the group of, of um, adults that I work with, um, young, young people and adults, that it would be around the 60% mark, if not higher. And that's a very important, significant figure in the sense of workload, in the sense of challenge, and in the sense of things that need to be done. Now, later, later on in this, um, in, in this episode, we're going to be talking about things to be done. Absolutely. But now, I, as I always say, we have to pay the rent, meaning we have to take a short break. So we're going to do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Jessica Hutton-Rantala. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Jessica Hutton-Rantala. Our topic is help and hope for family caregivers caring for family members with FASD. Now, Jessica, let's talk about the challenges to hope for family caregivers caring for family members living with FASD, um, challenges for the family members themselves, and and challenges that you encounter in your work. So first question, what do you see as the most challenging of the challenges to hope for family caregivers caring for family members living with FASD? Jessica? I think there are three uh, major challenges that I have identified to the hope for family caregivers. Um, And those challenges would be, first, living with an individual affected by FASD. Uh, Secondly, the lack of understanding by families and support circles. And the third, the lack of understanding by professionals. So I'll elaborate a little bit on each here. Living with an individual with FASD can be a huge challenge. For many parents, um, patience is a challenge when living with an individual with FASD. So patience when the child does not look compliant or when they don't look attached. Um, Patience when a family has no privacy due to the supports they might be utilizing. Um, Patience when the world doesn't see their child and doesn't understand their child. Patients um, when there seems to be no resources and no help available, and and I think one of the big ones is patients when when the parents and the caregivers' competence seems to be judged because of the lack of understanding of their chi- of their child, um, and and another big one patients for the caregivers and parents themselves when they've had to let go of specific hopes and dreams for their child and and realize that their child has an injured brain that won't be fixed. And very often I come in contact with parents who, because of years of living with an individual with FASD, are just scrambling, and it's all they can do to keep their heads afloat. And and many times these parents and caregivers are so exhausted from the caregiving portion that they can't even reach out to to fight for what they require. So the next major challenge that that I see is the lack of understanding um, by family support circles. So very often, others do not understand what the family is going through. Um, other family and friends who aren't familiar with living day in and day out with an individual affected with, with FASD very often attempt to input or provide unsolicited advice. And this is something I, I unfortunately see all the time, and I just really can't stress how unhelpful it is to the family and really just how utterly devastating it is to the family. Um, I've seen many families who are actually completely assaulted on all sides by people who think they know better um, without having any training and without having lived it. So not only are these poor parents tired and worn out from from simply trying to cope with FASD within the family, they then are losing their own support systems. 
And I think the final major challenge I see is the lack of understanding by professionals. Um, Families and caregivers are are very often met with professionals and service providers and and often governments who don't understand FASD and consequently can do further damage to to an individual and and their family unit. And what I mean by, by this is that a professional may make a recommendation or a referral that because it is not FASD-informed, will not work for the family, and then this obviously creates further frustration on the family's part because now um, they are not only having to struggle with their child, they feel like the person who is supposed to be supporting and who's supposed to know better now doesn't, and they don't. many parents don't realize that they really do have the right and the power to stand up to professionals who maybe don't understand. Right. Now, still on this theme of the most challenging of the challenges to hope. What about the most challenging of the challenges to hope for family members living with FASD? Jessica? Absolutely. So for the for the individuals themselves who, who love to live with FASD every day. So I see there kind of being two main frustrations. Um, the first frustration is is the individual being frustrated personally. And I think the second is, is the individual being frustrated, let's use the word, professionally. So the first one, the individual being frustrated personally, in my observations, um, this would be individuals who, who know they are different and they, they really want to fit in, but they're unable to because every time they try to fit in, um, whether that's their peer group or in a social setting, they seem to be met with failure. And, and this is because of a lack of understanding about their brain damage, and so concessions aren't made by people within these groups and settings for the individual's behaviors or speech or whatever may occur. And I think professionally, those frustrations, the individual um, having being frustrated professionally would come from the support system that, that may not be working for the individual. So this includes the family unit that may be in distress and chaos um, because the individual may not understand what is going on. And further to this, um, there is often a, a fragmented response uh, to the individual with FASD. And, and what I mean by this is that their developmental disability, their mental health, and their medical needs are often dealt with quite separately by different government systems. So what needs to occur instead is a more cohesive approach in which there is an organized and multidisciplinary approach to the individual and their needs. So for example, if there could be a case manager assigned to an individual who would access all the knowledge from each individual discipline, this would mean that each person would know who to contact in each discipline and they would be able to bring, this case manager would be able to bring the information all together. So the case manager then has the whole picture of the individual and would know what supports are available to the individual. So once this is established, then the case manager is able to communicate with members of the team, uh, for example, the doctor or the support staff, and this would create exactly that, a, a team. And then as a result of this, the individual with FASD would be less likely to get lost in the system with someone coordinating all the information, and this would obviously take immense pressure off the family or the caregivers and allow them to focus simply on being the caregiver or the parent. Right. Now, I just want to ask you a kind of an additional question relating to the one you've just answered, and that is, how do the... How does the child look and appear? That is to people who uh, see them um, and don't understand FASD. um, What does the appearance of the child tell them or not tell them? Jessica? 
That's a really good question because we often refer to FASD as being the invisible disability. It's very often not seen. One of the um, trademarks of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is the ability for individuals to present well, meaning that when you walk by the individual and maybe have a a very cursory two-minute conversation, there would be no knowledge on your part that that individual has FASD. This can complicate matters when we're going to provide supports to individuals with FASD because professionals may not understand the caliber or the level of supports that the individual truly does require. Right. Now, turning to you, (laughs) what do you see as the most challenging of the challenges to hope that you encounter in your work with your firm, Jessica Hunter, Hudson Rantala Consulting. Jessica? So what do I see as my biggest challenge? I think what I see as my biggest challenge in my own work is the lack of education on the part of many professionals, some of whom are in positions um, who are making significant decisions with regards to, to FASD. And there's sort of two parts to that statement around education. There are definitely those professionals who legitimately are uneducated, but who are completely open to saying so and are open to working with the family and learning about FASD. But then there are those professionals who who don't understand, but who think they do understand. And this can be even worse for families. In my experience, the most detrimental are those who firmly believe that they, they do understand the implications of FASD when, in fact, they clearly don't because they are making decisions that are not in the best interest of the individual and their family and perhaps could have negative results. And I think a second major challenge that I encounter um, is seeing individuals with FASD being set up for failure. One of the things that frustrates me the most in, in my work is seeing parents who are being forced to learn a new way of parenting, not because they are incompetent, but because the traditional ways of parenting we are taught and that are handed down through generations that we learn from our parents, those do not work with individuals with FASD. And consequently, these parents are, are trying to navigate and learn this new way of parenting um, on their feet. So there's a phrase that was coined by a group of parents that, that I've worked very closely with, and it says, you either walk in front and pave the way, or you walk behind and you pick up the pieces. And I can't, I can't express how incredibly true this is, but it can also be very difficult to implement because sometimes this forces parents to respond in a way that is very foreign to them. So often when we talk about FASD, we talk about the person requiring an external brain. So what this means is that the individual themselves requires another person to be of an assistance to them in processes in their life, such as decision-making or with their finances. What becomes a very large struggle in this is that while this is a recognized necessity, it can often be misconstrued as control. And so I see this become a challenge for parents because it becomes a vicious circle. The parent is the external brain for their child. An uneducated professional becomes involved and makes a statement to that, that child or the parent, such as, oh, you can live on your own and take care of your own money, or, oh, you'll be able to live with completely independently. And a few months later, that individual with FASD is living on their own with no money, and they're selling drugs to make ends meet or getting evicted from their home because they can't didn't pay their rent or they couldn't keep it clean. So through no fault of their own, the individual was set up for failure because someone did not understand the ramifications of the statement they made. 
and the individual could not sustain an independent placement or sustain taking care of their finances or their employment without assistance. And this is a huge problem that I see in the industry, and, and it's not fair to the individuals at all. And the point that you made before, which is these young people look just fine. Those mm-hmm. wasn't, weren't your words, but that was the message. So for when they're out there in community on their own, um, people will see them as people as individuals without problems and yet they have these challenges that you've talked about and made so clear to us um, that are going to put them on the path as you put it to failure in effect and that is a fundamental challenge now we're going to be talking about in the next segment meeting those challenges but I just want to emphasize um, to our listeners, that what you've just been listening to is a very real um, account from someone who has first-hand experience in the family in the family situation and is working all the time to provide that information and understanding that's needed for family caregivers struggling at times with a non-comprehending healthcare system. Maybe I'm being a bit too strong on that, but that's how I see the importance of what Jessica is doing. Now, once again, it's time for the break, so we'll take that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Jessica Hutton-Rantala. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. News, opinion, Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Women can live their lives to the fullest and realize their dreams for growth and greatness. Georgine Summers knows. As host of On the Edge, Georgine will give you powerful tools and rules to help you change direction in your life. 
and get rid of the fears that stop you from living your dreams. Stretch your boundaries and become the amazing person you've always wanted to be. On the Edge with Georgine Summers airs live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Jessica Hutton Runtalam. Our topic is Help and Hope for Family Caregivers Caring for Family Members with FASD. Jessica, now let's talk about help for overcoming the most challenges of the challenges to hope you've identified for family caregivers, caring for family members, living with FASD, for the family members for themselves, and also for your own work. Jessica, what help do you advocate for overcoming the challenges to hope for family caregivers, caring for family members with FASD? Jessica? I work in many capacities to advocate for families living with FASD, and and one of the things that I do is I will advocate for families and caregivers to use resources where they have them available. So whether this is is respite, whether this is day or employment or community supports, I'm always advocating for families to use access the support and use it. Uh, However, that being said, In many places, it is very difficult for families to find and to access resources because in in many cases, they simply don't exist. And because of this, too many parents are being left to do things completely on their own, and, and it is not helpful for the individual or the family. So in order to respond to what is necessary for families... Um, I developed and implemented a, a specific program for individuals with FASD that is in direct response to the lack of cohesive and FASD-informed supports for individuals and their families and caregivers. So this program brings together community support, uh, mental health support, and financial support to respond to the variety of needs that individuals with FASD present. So what my program looks like is, and I'll provide an example here, three young ladies who are supported to live together in a house, um, and the individuals who live in the house are brought together uh, based on their their interests and their, their mutual goals. Supports are provided to the young ladies 24-7 within the house through the use of a highly trained staff team who all rotate through the house and provide individualized programming for each person that we provide supports to. So the support that we provide might look like getting to appointments, supplying or making sure rides are available, helping with personal hygiene, Um, And this in-house support can also assist individuals to be successful with their daily routine um, and can also create opportunities for individuals such as employment or volunteering or community inclusion. So this is successful in that it is giving the young 
adult who we are supporting supported independence, a social circle, and by nature of the situation, they are getting supported with their finances, so they're also getting guidance. And now what we have then is an individual who is settled in their own place, has support, has friends, has help in decision-making, has advice when required, and parents who now can just be parents. Right. That's powerful again, but as you pointed out, that this doesn't this kind of service doesn't exist everywhere. Now, I'm still going to ask you, though, this question, which is what help do you advocate for overcoming the challenges to hope for family members living with FASD? You've already mentioned one very important way, vital way, one would say, for overcoming challenges. What are the other ones you want to identify, Jessica? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that I advocate... Um, for everything that, that I just previously mentioned, because the program I have completely responds to the challenges um, faced by an individual who, who has FASD. There are enormous challenges for individuals living with FASD. Um, the individual needs to be provided with the assistance required to help them to navigate the world. Um, it is crucial that it is recognized that this individual may not be willfully choosing to disobey a, a parent or a caregiver, but might instead um, have a brain that simply cannot process what is being asked of them. Um, the way I often explain it to parents is that it is like a child who is, who is terribly short-sighted. We certainly wouldn't say to that child, um, oh, well, you're just going to have to figure this out now and you're going to have to figure out how to survive. Survive, And, well, if we just discipline that child harder, um, they'll learn how to see without, without any other help. Um, this, of course, is, is utterly ridiculous. We wouldn't do this to a child. We would provide that child with glasses, and on that child would go, able to navigate the world with the use of their glasses. Um, and it's important to think the same way about a child with FASD. If we provide the child with an external brain, whether that is a parent, a caregiver, a support staff, a teacher's aide, that child will be more successful in the world. And so I advocate for individuals who require an external brain to navigate the world, and I advocate for the appropriate programming to then meet their needs. Uh, many individuals with FASD sense or know that something is different within themselves, and they just want so desperately to feel um, like what could be called normal. Um, and they need something that works. Otherwise, they, they lose trust and they lose hope. And when there is not something that works and nothing helps, many of these individuals turn to drugs or alcohol and they may get caught up in a world where they are involved in drug trafficking or prostitution or gang-related activities. So the program that I have created responds to all of these needs in the individuals and has proved so far to be beneficial um, to the individuals and the family and has also proved to be more economical than many of the other systems in place right now. And the kind of thing you've just been talking about in a way of helping these young people avoid the drugs, um, the going out on the streets, the getting into trouble, also reads back into the challenge that you were talking about associated with the criminal justice system, where so many of these young people are caught up in that system. So in that sense, what you've been describing uh, is also a prevention of something worse um, by understanding the particular situations that these family members find themselves in or n the care that they actually need. Now, I want to ask you, I'm still going to ask you about your own 
the way in which um, you, you've, you, you function in the services you provide. So what help do you rely on for overcoming the challenges to hope that you encounter in your work with your firm, Jessica Hutton, Rantala Consulting? Absolutely. So what do I rely on for overcoming challenges? So primarily, I rely on, on resilient and amazing parents and caregivers who, who inspire me. Um, I understand their, their energy and their dedication and their tireless efforts on behalf of their children because I have been there myself with my own family. Um, it is these parents who push me to advocate harder because I see their struggles and their strengths, and I'm always amazed by the strength that they demonstrate in their struggles. Um, parents and caregivers of individuals with FASD are resilient. Um, I, I do often find that parents know best, even when they are in crisis and may not know how to help themselves in their family unit, they do often know what is best for their child. Um, and lots of times, many professionals complicate these situations by not providing the educated help that is necessary. And so, and it is just so important um, that they respect and the parents and the caregivers and listen to them. Um, some, arti- some individuals with FASD can articulate what they need and want and others cannot. And this is one of the reasons why it is so imperative that the parents and caregivers are an integral part of the individual support network. Um, I rely on the individuals. Um, so many of the individuals I have worked on or worked with um, are affected by FASD, and they amaze me with their acceptance and their forgiveness of a world that, that has not treated them kindly. Um, other individuals have become jaded, and I also completely understand that. Um, all in all, they are often very beautiful human beings whose strengths have been completely overlooked. Um, and I would say, finally, I rely on my incredible staffing team. I have a team of staff who are working frontline with individuals with FASD, and they provide me with with significant inspiration. They're strong, they're motivated, they're dedicated, they're wonderful staffing team who I can rely on and who all provide significant input to our program. You mention of inspiration leads me to to a question. Does spirituality have any role that you see as helpful for these families? Is that something that you work with, look look after, or is it something that you think is perhaps too far removed? What do you say? When I provide supports to a family, I do so in a way that's called holistically. So that looks at an individual's um, physical needs, their spiritual needs, their mental health needs, their developmental disability needs. Every bit of that factors in together. In order for a person to be whole and to be happy um, holistically, all different facets of their life need to be um, responded to and taken care of. So yes, as one of the facets in in somebody's life, um, some people look for more spirituality than others do, um, but it is a, a definitely a strong um, need that needs to be met in whatever way that looks like for the individual with the with the FASD and and for their family. So absolutely, it is important. Talking about spirituality for the family. Um, Is that something that you would go so far as to encourage the family to do, or do you leave it for their own decision-making? In other words, this is a somewhat leading question, but do you advocate spirituality in some form for family caregivers? Jessica? I advocate for a holistic approach, so by default, yes, um, I do. 
some families are more open, and that is already a part of their life. Um, responding to their spiritual needs may already be a part of their life. Um, some families are more closed off to that, and that's not something I would go down a road with. It, every family, just like every individual, is so unique with FASD, so is every family. Um, sometimes I become involved with families, and they already have a very strong spiritual um, background and a very strong spiritual support network. Other families do not. It's something they're looking for. Other families do not have it and are not looking for it. Perfectly fair. Now, what we've got is a very clear, uh, I think, analysis of this way in which the advocacy and the challenges come together through the kind of services that you, Jessica, provide. Now, at the very, we're coming to the end of this particular segment. So what I'm going to say simply is that in the next one, we're going to look into the future and ask questions like what more should be done. So we'll take the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Jessica Hutton-Rantala. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. 
If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Jessica Hutton-Rantala. Our topic is help and hope for family caregivers caring for family members with FASD. Now, Jessica, please talk more about more that you would like to do and to see done to strengthen help for family caregivers in the situations we've been talking about. So first question, what more would you like to do to strengthen help for family caregivers caring for family members with FASD and for the family members themselves? Jessica? Mm -hmm. For sure. So at this point in time, um, the support I'm giving to to parents and and with my program, with my programming, um, I would like to just just to see this keep going because I feel the direction that we're going in um, is right. And and the program I have developed works. Um, And I think secondly, I feel like I would like parents, um, and I believe it's important to normalize what parents and caregivers are seeing. FASD is such a unique disorder. Um, It is so individually unique that parents often feel very alone and think they are responding to something that is different than than everybody else. And as a result of that, it it, it seems very abnormal to them. I hear parents saying, um, I have a lot of parents who say to me, I know what FASD is. Everybody tells me what it is, but I need somebody to tell me what to do. How, How do I deal with this now? Um, I am hearing those parents very loud and clear, um, and I, I have been working and, and doing some training and working to develop more training with regards um, to not only what FASD is, but how to respond to the child with FASD. Um, and I would like the opportunity to be able to, to reach more parents with that training, and I would also like the opportunity to have more individuals um, on board with with a program that works because ultimately um, this is better for the FASD community and for caregivers and parents who who get their lives back. And it's also better for the healthcare system too. Absolutely. Healthcare is all our systems that are supporting individuals with FASD. Yeah. Now, what more would you like to see done and by whom to strengthen help for family caregivers? Jessica? I think um, primarily what I would like to see is the parents and the caregivers of of individuals with FASD really banding together. I'd like to see a very solidified and loud voice to push for change to respond to the needs of individuals with FASD and by default then of course their families and their caregivers. Um, I would like to see it be safer for families to discuss their challenges Um, and by safer I mean I, I come in contact with families who feel that they cannot share the magnitude of their situation that they are in with a loved one with FASD because of their fear of being judged, um, because of their fear of, of what might happen, because of their fear of systems that might be involved. I would like to see it be safer for families to be able to, to start talk, talking about what they're seeing and talking about what they're experiencing and not feeling like they have to, to hold back. Um, I'd like to see more of of my programs. Um, Part of what my program does is take pressure off the parents so they can be parents again, which strengthens the family unit, and it puts the family unit back together, which has often been lost when everyone has become so stressed. The fiber of, of the family disintegrates, and I would like to see 
that be put back together by putting in place programs that worked. And finally, I really would like to see more professionals and caregivers um, being able to access FASD education. And, and I don't mean education at um, at the front of just, just what is FASD, but really talking more about not just what FASD is, but how we respond to it and how our systems are working. Are they working? How, what do we need to change? Those conversations need to happen, and I would love to see them happen. And would you also support the idea that family caregivers can learn from each other. That is to say, by listening to each other in this group, grouping you're talking about, this uniting that I think you're talking about, can they teach each other and share experiences and develop their knowledge in that way, Jessica? Absolutely. They are the teachers. I I look at the parents that I work with as the teachers, and I I have very much um, worked even with my staffing team to to recognize that. The parents that we are working with are our teachers. They know these children. They have lived with these children for years and years, day in and day out. Um, They know what is best, and it's very important that we listen to them um, and that they feel empowered. Often what happens is is they feel like, oh, well, I'm not really sure if I should say anything because that person's supposed to be the professional. Not necessarily. Um, the way I work is very open. If somebody doesn't like a, a suggestion or a way that I'm sort of moving, I want them to say that because otherwise we are just going to get worse and worse along a, on a, along a, a line that is, is going to get us nowhere. Right. Now, very last question. What's your message for family caregivers who've recently learned that a young family member has been diagnosed with FASD? What's your, what's your quick message, Jessica? Well, I think the message I have for families is there is hope and, and there is help. And I say this because I, I do want to be able to throw a, a so-called life preserver to them. And this is true. There There is hope and there is help. However, I also want to qualify that statement by understanding that this might not be what happens in everybody's case. It's not necessarily what families believe, nor what they want to hear where they're work- when they're working um, with these individuals day in and day out or in the trenches, so to speak. They want to see something occur. Um, every parent is different in their responses, and every single individual within FASD is so different. But I am also confident in saying there is help because there is a program that works. And the reason it works is because it responds to the unique needs of the family and the caregiver. And to that, I would encourage parents, do not take no for an answer. Um, ask, ask questions, be strong and tenacious. If you know it won't work for your child, say so. Um, obviously, this is easier said than done. But as I mentioned, I have seen parents put their trust in supports um, that aren't working, and the parents feel like they shouldn't say anything. And I also see parents whose children don't seem to you know, conform, quote unquote, to what they are supposed to, what are supposed to be typical programs. Um, and they are made to feel as if it's their fault as a parent or it's the child's fault. And, and this is not the case. And it's very important to me um, that parents are empowered to take a stand. Right. right. Absolutely. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end of this powerful episode, Jessica. Thank you very much for sharing with us your own experience, your own insights and your own advice and also that sense of what works and what doesn't work and the kind of support that family caregivers and their family members need. So thank you for everybody's sake.
Now, I want to say thank you to our listeners. Um, and something about Family Caregivers Unite. We're starting a new research project called Qualitative Research, which this episode is part of. The idea is to find out what you, our listeners, think about important topics, such as the one we've just been listening to, and for you to share with us and our listeners your experience of healthcare. Please email me to hear more or to get involved. And also, if you'd like to be a guest on my show, here's how, how to connect with me. Please email me at docg, that's D-O-C-G, at Family Caregivers Unite, all one word, dot O-R-G. Now, our next episode will be Human Rights for Family Caregivers and Family Members Living with FASD. So please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.